Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, the wild and still rapidly developing story about a young and extremely influential cryptocurrency mogul, Sam Bankman-Fried, whose company FTX went belly up this past week, declaring bankruptcy and leading to investors losing hundreds of millions of dollars. The 30-year-old CEO is now under investigation by the Justice Department and could face both civil and criminal charges in the aftermath of his company's stunning downfall. To help us understand how something like this could even happen. We talked to Kent State University finance professor David Pellick. Please note, I recorded our interview on Tuesday, November 15th, and by the time you hear this program, there could be some new developments. He sort of appeared on the scene in 2019, right? So sort of, you know, newer to the game, and he became really huge really fast. And Basically, they issued a token called FTT, which is a token they just made up. And there's allegations, and we don't know if it's true, but it could be true, that he basically, he traded it on his own platform and maybe rigged the price of it so that it appeared that it was worth billions of dollars. And then he borrowed money against the billions of dollars, but he borrowed the money from himself, from client's money, who had money on the platform now again it's all developing now and the stuff is just the more you learn the crazier it sounds but basically he took his clients money so people entrusted money to the platform because they were going to trade bitcoin and ethereum and other coins on the platform and when you do that like when you put your money at a bank your bank is entrusted with your money right however if you put it in a bank, it's regulated by several regulators and there's rules about what they can do with your money that you lent them. And if you put your money at a broker and an exchange, also there's rules, but this exchange was sort of offshore. So there wasn't really oversight or protection. And so people put their money and their coins on deposit there. And then the people running the company, like Sam and his, his girlfriend, who was I don't know if you've seen her. This is crazy. There was a part of a company they had called Alameda. And Alameda was a effectively a hedge fund. It was speculating on uh, cryptocurrencies. They were using customer funds to speculate. And his girlfriend who was running it, she was 28 years old, a real Harry Potter fan. And if you see the two of them, you know, they're very interesting people. And she really didn't know anything and was taking, you know, millions and billions of dollars in risk. And of course, big surprise, it all fell apart. It, it's all developing. And, and again, what I'm saying is subject to, you know, let's see what happens in, in the courts. But I read that one thing they would do before they listed, you know, one of these obscure currencies on their platform was Alameda would buy a bunch of that currency and then they would list the currency. And when it listed on FTX, of course, it went up in value because more people could trade it. And so they may have faced some trouble for that's called front running or insider trading. That's illegal. So, so this company declaring bankruptcy and all these people's money evaporating. Is it possible that it could result in criminal charges if there really isn't the same kind of regulation against 
this kind of company is theirs against a regular bank? I think what this hopefully does for the regulators, and they've been working on it, right? But it adds some urgency to create a more robust regulatory framework over, you know, the cryptocurrency space, the digital security space, which is different. So a security is different than a money, right? Because money is just money, but a security pays dividends or interest. So I think this is another great example and perhaps give some initiative to regulators to continue their work, to accelerate their work on regulating the space so that it can become more uh, institutionally friendly. I mean, for example, a lot of stuff has happened on the institutional side. For example, the U.S.'s oldest bank, BNY Mellon, the most conservative bank of all conservative banks, they will now custody Bitcoin for you. And that is important, not for you or me, but if you're an institution or you're a fund and you want to invest in Bitcoin, right? You can't just have it in a wallet somewhere or on Coinbase. You can't just have it in an insecure spot. You can actually have BNY Mellon custody your coins. In the other backdrop, of course, as we all know, the Fed has been raising rates. The central banks around the world have been raising rates. That has caused all asset markets to drop, right? And when all asset markets drop, people who are in very leverage, you know, and by leverage, I mean, where they've taken more risk than the money they actually have. So people in very leveraged positions have been forced out of them. And that's caused the stock market is down. I mean, look at Meta stock. You know, Meta is Facebook, right? It's down 70% this year. So, you know, Bitcoin is down 60%. Ethereum is down in the 60s as well. A lot of speculative investments are really down. And so the market, all eyes are on the Fed and the Fed's eyes are on inflation. And so what is the Fed going to do? What are other central banks in the world going to do? That's the question that remains to be seen. So that's also weighing on all of these schemes. So that's why a lot of these schemes now in the past year where people are over leveraged and, you know, using customer funds to make big bets. That's why a lot of them have unraveled now in this world. Going back to this FTX, though, kind of the wrinkle in this as we talk about federal regulation. I did a story on yep. you know, efforts to to get that together uh, on the federal level, and I know they're talking about it. But if you said these guys were headquartered like offshore in the Caymans or the Bahamas or something like that, would federal regulations even apply necessarily? Right. Well, so interesting, because the world currency right now, the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency in most of the world. Energy is traded in dollars. It's really the world's currency. Therefore, U.S. regulators have the ability in a lot of cases to regulate outside of the country. And especially because if you want to get institutional money, then you need to be friendly to the U.S. regulators. And in addition, the U.S. regulators will probably take a thought leadership position for other regulators. And so when they make up their minds and figure out what they want to do, then other regulators will probably follow in a very similar fashion. So they're the key regulatory framework really for the world. Well, regulations yeah. aside, when it comes to a deal like this one that we we're talking about, if people put their money in and then allegedly the people who are running the joint just gambled it away, essentially, right. they're never right. going to see their money again, right? Probably not. No, they probably are going to take a pretty big loss. By the way, I don't know if you know this with Bernie Madoff, 
Yeah. Uh, the trustee, the bankruptcy trustee who did that was fantastic. And he got almost all of the original investment back. The people who invested thought that they double and tripled their money. So the doubling and tripling disappeared. But the original money that went in, almost all of it was recovered. But that will not be the case in this case, I don't think. Right, right. Because it's not actual money. It's cryptocurrency and that's different. Or it was money and the money's gone. Yeah, it's evaporated. So, you know, I know you're not an investment advisor, but if people who are listening and they're saying, yeah, but cryptocurrency seems really interesting to me and lots of people are investing in it. And just because this one thing happened, it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll always happen. Should I still invest in it? Should I still think about it? Or should I just kind of put it in my back pocket and wait till the dust settles? What do you think? That's a fantastic question. And again, I'm not an investment advisor, but I can tell you that any money that you put into a cryptocurrency should be money that you really don't need to maintain your lifestyle because it's not unlikely that you'll lose it all. But that being said, because of what's happened with FTX, Bitcoin is a little bit cheaper. It still hasn't gone to zero. It's around 16 yesterday. It was 17,000 today. So is this an opportunity to buy some at a cheaper price? Because all of the thesis for Bitcoin still remains the same. And if some fraudulent exchanges get wiped out, maybe does that make things better? Does that hearken more regulation, which makes it even a better opportunity? I don't know. So that's the, that's the question that's I've been thinking about myself. And I, I don't know whether I should be buying now or just eating some popcorn and watching the show. Kind of watching it from the sidelines. Yeah, I know the guy that runs Binance was fit to be tied and recently came out in the news and saying, well, just because this one guy who made up his own crypto and then tanked his own firm, that shouldn't reflect badly on everybody else. Obviously, he's got a pony in the race, right? He doesn't want people to stop investing in Bitcoin, but it all seems like it went horribly, tragically wrong, like in a, in a massive explosion of weirdness this week. Yeah, it is so weird. Uh, I'll tell you, if you are bored this week, just dig deeper in the story. Look at what people have posted on Twitter. You know, I don't know if it's real or QAnon stuff, but the people involved, I mean, for example, I mean, Tom Brady was a big investor in FTX, right? And a big spokesperson. So all these famous people were totally connected with them, the most powerful people in the world. And the story just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Where is he now? Will he go to jail? Will he go to, you know, escape somewhere? Right. That's the question. I saw a comparison between this saga and the whole Theranos thing, right? You know, and in that case, I mean, she's about to be sentenced sometime soon. And we kind of knew that that was going to see some legal action because she duped some of the most famous people in the, the world out of millions of dollars, right? Well, Smartest this guy did too, apparently, maybe Correct. even on a bigger scale. It's a weirder scale because Theranos, she was, you know, interesting character herself. But basically there, they raised money to make a product. The product didn't really work and they lied about it. Right. That's sort of the whole story. Right. And they had the most famous, influential and smartest people on board on that one. This one, it's just weird. <laughs> it's just so level <laughs> higher weirderness. And then you look at his, who his parents are. I mean. If you go down the rabbit hole with this, it's really interesting. All right. Well, you know, we're going to keep on watching it. And and I think my takeaway from this, at least if I was somebody that had disposable cash, which I do not, but, you know, I aspire 
to have some at some point. And if I were to have disposable cash, I don't know that I necessarily would be putting it in crypto right this second. I might want to just keep it in an actual bank for a while and kind of see how it shakes out. And then, you know, maybe in a month or two or three, whenever, when all this kind of more comes out, then maybe I might want to cautiously dip my toe into the pond. Do you think that would be like a reasonable approach? Well, I think you should be like Matt Damon, who lost a fortune investing in Bitcoin for in, in the ads he did for Bitcoin. You know, fortune favors the bold. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's entertaining to us because we're on the outside and we didn't lose any money. I would imagine right. that the people who are on the inside and lost a whole bundle of cash this week are finding this less amusing than we are. Correct. I mean, and the thing is, and this is real advice, if you have Bitcoin, like significant amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum, you want to hold it out of an exchange. You want to hold it in your own wallet. Don't want it on an exchange or in a wallet, which is on the internet. So you can buy a device, you know, they're 50 bucks for a device where you hold your private key and it's off chain. It's in cold storage. Nobody can touch it. They're good ones. Even if you plug them in your computer, they can't hack it and get your private key. So that way, like anyone who holds Bitcoin that has it in cold storage, it doesn't affect them at all. This is just for the people who had deposits at the exchange. And you would have deposits at the exchange if you were buying and selling, if you were trading it, and you needed to have it there to do a transaction. But for people who had it effectively under their mattress, they're not affected at all. So I guess the key lesson from this is, in fact, all of the exchanges or all of the fun and games where people have lost money, no one who holds their keys off in cold storage have had any losses. All the losses are where... There's a centralized entity where people hold their Bitcoin and that entity steals the Bitcoin or gets hacked. So the centralization piece, which is the whole thing that Bitcoin is trying to fix, is what has caused the losses. So that's sort of what we're learning now. I see. Well, but if I had crypto and I had some mm -hmm. in my wallet, like you said, it's yeah. off the Internet and I'm holding on to it. Yep. And I do want to do some investments in trading, then maybe some good advice would be to just take a portion of that and exactly that, like Whatever. temporarily do a transaction, but keep the lion's share of my Bitcoin, Ethereum, or whatever FTT, keep it somewhere else, right? Keep it in the vault. Keep it in the vault. Exactly. Yeah. Only have what you are using for trading or for transactions on the internet effectively or at an exchange. Right. And the bulk of it should just be sitting in cold storage where no one can touch it. That was Kent State University finance professor David Pellig. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy. And we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5 1590 WAKR and WAKR.net.